Hi, everyone. This is Ron Jolson, and you're listening to the Christian Fellowship Community Forum podcast. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. All right, and good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Christian Fellowship Community Forum session number 12. Uh, with Tim Guerin, you know, 12, isn't that the uh, number of completion? It's kind of a heavenly number. It's perfect. Uh, And Tim is our executive vice president and chief distribution officer. I'm, of course, Ron Jolson, your host this morning. I'm pleased to greet those of you. Uh, We have over 1,400 registered and uh, we have field. We've got home office. We have other guests and we welcome all of you. And of course, now it is my pleasure to formally introduce Tim Guerin, who joined Northwestern Mutual in 2002. He's had a variety of leadership uh, positions with the company, including law, field compensation and planning, enterprise compliance, campus planning, uh, just many, many things that he's done, including the uh, the design or help with the design of the tower. So, um, you know, Tim, maybe you'll tell us why the uh, Northwestern Mutual Tower is not taller than the U.S. Bank building. It's, it's a great story. <laughs> and uh, so maybe we'll get into that. But anyway, um, so Tim oversaw the planning of that. But in addition to his leadership at Northwestern Mutual, uh, Tim is a thought leader in the financial services industry. He's an advocate of uh, professionalism and high standards for developing the next generation of financial advisors. Uh, and he previously served on the advisory board for the Center for Ethics and Financial Services and on the CFP Board Center for Financial Planning. And uh, now I think, Tim, you're still a tr- uh, trustee of the American College as well. Uh, And so before joining Northwestern Mutual, Tim was an associate in commercial litigation practice uh, at Seaforth Shaw in Chicago. So he was a lawyer and we still love him. Recovering, Ron, Ron, recovering lawyer. (laughs) He also has a BS in economics, received his JD from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, He's passionate about supporting opportunities for young people. So he serves on the board of Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, uh, the board of Milwaukee College Prep which is a leading charter school that serves Milwaukee's inner city. Uh, Tim and his amazing wife, Sandy, who I just had the pleasure of spending some time with at our (laughs) Christmas party. She's a riot. They have four children, active members of St. Monica's Parish in Whitefish Bay. And for fun, uh, Tim enjoys sports, anything outdoors. He's an amazing golfer. I mean, relative to me. Uh, And he cheers for uh, supporting his kids in their various activities. And I've really enjoyed uh, being with Tim, particularly on the leadership team for Northwestern Mutual for the last four years or five years, somewhere in there. Uh, And he is uh, just an outstanding leader, uh, an incredible, incredibly knowledgeable about everything that we do. Uh, But I think also his passion for the company and for the field are absolutely legendary. So. Uh, With that as the introduction, um, our topic today, you know, we grabbed something right out of scripture because I think it makes perfect sense. Amos 3.3, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Uh, And so with that as our kind of backdrop topic, we will get to some what we mean by that. But before we do that, Tim, could we just get started with maybe you telling us a little bit about your faith journey? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Ron. And thank you for that overly generous introduction. Uh, and good morning, everyone. Great to be with you during this Advent season as we prepare for Christmas. Um, faith journey. So I uh, was raised in the Presbyterian Church. Um, 
My mom was Protestant, dad was Catholic. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, but I was raised at First Presbyterian in Bluffton, Indiana, small uh, church, small town, uh, probably like uh, some of you on the call. And we were active in the church. It was a big part of our life. Um, that continued when we moved to Rockford, Illinois, when I was in middle school and we were members at Westminster Presbyterian. Um, you know, some of my memories of the church as a kid, uh, most of our friends were from there. Um, it was a big part of our community. Uh, I was the bat boy for the uh, uh, men's softball team at uh, First Presbyterian in Bluffton. So I got to hang out with all of the guys, including my dad and our minister, who was the pitcher. He was an excellent slow pitch softball pitcher, by the way. Um, and then I was involved with the youth group and the church session and all of those things. And so it was, you know, it was just a big part of our life. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was something I took for granted or not, but it was something that we did as a family. And that was important to me. And it was an important part of my values and how we're growing up. So I certainly wasn't a perfect kid. Um, and none of us are. But that was a, a big part of my faith experience. Then when I went to college at Butler, I went to church, I would say, sporadically. Um, Protestant churches, uh, either when I was home or with friends at school. And then I went to law school at Notre Dame. And I'll say, you know, that was an interesting time for me, Ron, because obviously great school. I had a little bit of Catholic tradition from my dad's side of the family, but I wasn't Catholic. And so my first year at Notre Dame, actually from a faith perspective, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water. Um, I was Christian, but there are all these like rules and rituals in the Catholic church. And I just felt like uh, I didn't like know what was going on and didn't quite fit in. And then my uh, second year of law school, I had the great fortune of meeting my wife, Sandy, who, as you said, totally amazing. And we got in the habit of going to church together and at Notre Dame, great priests, Catholic community. She had a sister and two cousins who were undergrads. And every week we would um, go to one of many, uh, one of the many, uh, masses that were on campus. And then when we moved to Chicago, we were sort of starting our faith life together. And we looked at a lot of different churches. We went to Presby Presbyterian churches, Lutheran churches, Methodist churches. Uh, but we ended up kind of settling in a Catholic uh, parish called St. Teresa's on the near north side, which was terrific. Um, our first daughter was baptized there. And then when we moved to Milwaukee, when I had the great fortune of joining Northwestern Mutual, we tried some more churches and uh, we eventually sort of found our home uh, at St. Monica in Whitefish Bay, where most of my kids were uh, baptized and went to school K through eighth grade. And then at some point I made the decision to convert and become Catholic. So uh, one of my jokes was I had been sort of probably more of a practicing Catholic than some actual Catholics. Um, but I just decided um, with Sandy and after a lot of reflection that it was the right thing for me and for us as a family. And I'm happy to elaborate on that. Um, but I, I really thought, and, um, I really thought it was important that we do it together. And I think the scripture that you teed up at the beginning set that up perfectly because, um, you know, I think part of a marriage, you're on that faith journey together. And I thought Sandy and I would have the best opportunity to support each other if we were together. And we also aspired to raise our kids, um, um, that way too. And just like my dad converted to be Presbyterian, he did that because he didn't want to split up on Sundays. Um, he wanted us to be attending church as a family. And I had the same feeling and I wanted this to be a family thing that we did together. And I thought Sandy and I would support each other more. I thought we'd have a better opportunity to raise our kids that way if we were doing it together. And so, um, and ultimately, again, I can elaborate on, on that a little bit, but I was really confident at that point that it was the right choice for me and also for our family. 
That, that's great. And that actually is our topic today, really, the importance of unity in a marriage and your family. Uh, and, and you've gotten already a little bit into that. So um, would love for you to maybe elaborate some more, um, because what it sounds it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is that uh, it's really your relationship with God, maybe uh, that that's the most important thing. Um, and and that is sort of how you've uh, pulled your family together. So maybe just talk a little bit more uh, about your unity in both your marriage and your family. That would be great. Yeah. So yeah. Sure. First, let me just say, I think, you know, family support is important here. And so uh, when I um, my parents actually got divorced when I was a senior in college, my mom married a Presbyterian minister. My dad married a Catholic woman and rejoined the Catholic Church. And so as I was going through this journey, you know, I was getting, um, I would say, support and influence sort of all the way around. And when I had conversations with my dad about it, he shared with me sort of his perspective on Protestant churches, Catholic churches, and why he did what he did. And, and I ultimately um, thought it was most important for us to be together as a family. And so, um, and when I talked to my dad about it, um, he, he was very supportive. And interestingly, when I talked to my grandmother about it, who was very Protestant, um, I think it was hard for her when her daughter married my dad, who was Catholic at the time. But she was amazing. She said, you know, the most important thing is um, that your faith is your faith and whatever you choose to be, be great at it. And so if you want to be Catholic, be great at being Catholic. And you talk about relationship with God. You know, I, I believe, Ron, that what God wants more than anything is a relationship with us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us all the time. And he is always reaching out to us. And of course, we have free will. And we can decide whether to accept that love or not. And I think we can probably all see periods in our life when we were closer to or not closer to accepting that love from God. And, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know, uh, we could probably debate all of the theological differences, but I think it's a beautiful thing that in our world today, there are ways, not only that we are in a country where we have religious freedom and we can choose, but there are, a many of, there are many different churches and communities where we can find our path to that relationship with God. And, and I feel really grateful that I was uh, raised in a family with faith, but I also am really grateful that Sandy was sort of patient with me as we found our way together as first as a married couple and then as parents um, to what was going to be best for us. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, in talking to Sandy the other night, I, I'm sure that, you know, her being married to you, it's a little bit part of her tithe. She has to put up with a lot. You know. <laughs> hey, Ron, uh, Ron, we all have crosses to bear. Okay. Let's not, right, right. let's not get into that. If we, if we're keeping the ledger between Sandy and I, it's not going to work out well. It's not going to work. Okay. No. no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But anyway, uh, I love what you said because what you're really saying is, the, the paramount thing is that relationship with God. And some of us, you know, need to find what is the best way to have that relationship for you. It was uh, joining, ultimately joining the Catholic Church. It may be different for someone else, but that relationship uh, is what is so important. And, and I absolutely love that. Uh, and and couldn't agree more strongly with it. And, you know, it's a little bit like somebody asked me the other day, well, what's the best Bible to read? And I said, oh, that's obvious. It, you know, it's it's the one that you actually will read. Yeah, it's the uh, one you have, right? It's the yeah. one you have. Yeah. We'll open up and read. It's not, uh, you can talk about translations till you're blue in the faith, but the one that you actually open up is the best one, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I make that analogy there. Well, you have this unique background, Tim, and um, can you share maybe a few things 
uh, because we have people from different backgrounds on this sure. call, maybe about both your Presbyterian experience and your Catholic experience that you really liked or, or maybe uh, was even important as you raised your family to be Christians. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, it's and I appreciate you asking the question that way, uh, because my dad is a super positive guy. And when I asked him about his experience, you know, Catholic, Presbyterian, Catholic, he said, hey, there are great things about both. And, um, you know, and I think that's very true. And and from a um, and I'll talk about it, you know, they've been debating, I think, the theological differences since the Reformation. So I'll leave that to the experts. Um, so I'll talk about it a little bit, maybe more from an experiential perspective. Um, what I recall really about my Presbyterian upbringing and what I really value, there are a number of things about it. First of all, incredibly welcoming really open. So when you say all are welcome here or everyone is invited to the table, I think that was certainly true in the churches that um, you know I was fortunate to be in. Uh, the services themselves were very participatory. Um, the singing was great. Uh, people were engaged and involved in the services. And, um, and the sermons were always, I thought, uh, very personally engaging. Uh, I was our first uh, minister in uh, Bluffton was a great family friend of ours. He happened to play football for Woody Hayes years ago at Ohio State, and he was hysterical. And even as a kid, I loved listening to him. And I always took something away that was personal about my relationship with God. And again, I think the sense of community and welcomingness was, those were to me hallmarks of the experience. Also just sort of the way the church is kind of, I would say, organized and governed. There's like a democratic almost aspect to it where uh, the, the community of the church is very involved in the operation of the church, which I appreciated. Um, from a Catholic perspective, interestingly, one of the things that I didn't like about it originally, I really like now. And so when I was first at Notre Dame and I felt like I didn't fit in and didn't know what to do, um, there is a like rigor and consistency and discipline to Catholicism in the Catholic mass that is beautiful. And we take our kids uh, to church when we're up north or when we're on vacation, and it's always the same. You always know exactly what you're gonna get. And I think in a crazy world that the, the Catholic church is sort of unapologetic about what it is and what it stands for, and is so consistent, I think is, is terrific. The other thing, and this was really important to Sandy and has become important to me, in my Presbyterian church, we had communion once a month, basically. At a, a Catholic mass, you have communion every week and the Eucharist, as we call it, is really the centerpiece. And I think the fact that the service is organized around the fact that God loved us so much that Jesus was sacrificed for us, for me, um, we celebrate that in a very tangible way in the Catholic service every week. And I think it's beautiful. And, um, and I think actually when Sandy and I were exploring churches, it would have been really hard for her to give that up. And I would say it's something now that I really appreciate about the Catholic church that I think is beautiful. And then from a, you know, just as I've tried to deepen my faith and there are great thinkers and writers all over the place, but in recent years, as I've tried to understand and learn more about the Catholic faith and how it's engaging the world, um, there's some, just some great thinkers and writers, Father Mike Schmitz up in Minnesota, um, Bishop Barron, who runs an a institute called the Word on Fire Institute, Matthew Kelly, who runs Dynamic Catholic. They're like working to re-energize the Catholic Church, I think, so that it's more relevant and engaging in our society. So there's, you know, there's great stuff on both, but those are the things, some of the things that have been influential to me. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, Tim, 
And you mentioned the Eucharist. I'm curious, and 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 that is a wonderful thing because that is so prominent uh, in your worship. Have you been able to also impart that on your children? The importance of that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, one one thing, um, you know, maybe if I just had sort of one thing that I would share. And you know, we uh, we've made lots of mistakes as parents, um, but one thing that I'm really proud of um, is uh, just praying with my kids. And the, one of the differences, and this is sort of funny, <coughs> I didn't grow up in a Catholic school. <coughs> my kids have all these prayers memorized. I don't know most of them, um, but I'm, I participate from time to time in this Catholic men's group. And there's another guy who grew up Presbyterian. Uh, he's, he was Lutheran. And whenever they need a free form prayer, they just kick it to one of us. They say, hey, you Presbyterian, or you Protestants are way better. You know, if you want a memorized prayer, we'll take it. But otherwise, you know, if we just want open-ended. And, and so in any case, um, I think my kids got a lot of that at school. Um, but one of the things that I've done is a habit with my kids since when they were little. And when I was working, especially in Chicago and then late at Northwestern, my time with the kids was bedtime. You know, and it was bath, stories, nighttime prayer. And there are a lot of different ways to do it, Lord's Prayer, whatever. But then at some point, I wanted my kids to learn how to talk to God in a more personal way. And so I encouraged them every night to say nighttime prayer that has four parts. And the first part is tell God something you're grateful for. The second one is tell God something you're sorry about. And I actually had to amend that because it's really hard to say you're sorry. Uh, it's hard if you're 51. It's really hard if you're five. Uh, so I changed it to ask God, what, what is something that you want help with or that you're struggling with? Third one is pray for somebody other than yourself. Your life isn't about you. It's about service to others. So think of somebody else who's in need, a sibling, a friend at school, whatever. And then the last one is what's something that you're wishing and hoping for? And so express to God what you desire in life and have that like conversation. And, and if you're just interested in your own entertainment, by the way, have your kids do this out loud because especially if they're little, you'll get some like hysterical things. But my youngest son is now 14. And I asked him just last week, cause I knew we were having this conversation. I said, hey, Jake, do you still do that same prayer at night? And he said, yep, every night. And so that's one thing. And then, um, the other thing that Jake and I especially have continued to do, Bishop Barron has a gospel reflection. And I thought it was like a little too grown up for him. It's every day. And I started doing it in the morning. And then at night I started doing it with him. And it's the gospel reading for the day and then a reflection. And we probably started doing it when he was about 10 years old. And I was amazed at how much he got out of it, how much he understood and how much I learned from him having the conversation with him about it. And even now, if, you know, if I'm traveling, if I'm at Forum or whatever, he'll text me and say, hey, Dad, what time are we doing the gospel reflection? So he wants to do it every day. And it's just a great discipline. It's something that we share together. I wish I would have done it with my girls. My two girls are now in college. But like you, you learn as a kid or you learn as you go, as you raise, uh, as you raise your kids. But I think, you know, other than, you know, the things that you do go to church, all of those things. Um, those are some ways that I've tried to engage our kids in the faith. And I think it's been good, hopefully for their relationship with God, but I think it's also been great for my relationship with them. That's amazing. Uh, I love hearing that. And I love that you got into the practice of it uh, because of course, you know, as you do get in the practice, 
Um, we, you know, we know that God gives us the desires of our heart, but what starts happening is your heart begins to come closer to the heart of God as you pray like that every day. And when your heart is aligned with his heart, then, yeah, you really do get the desires uh, of your heart. And so the, that prayer routine, I think, is a great way of doing it. I'm I'm just want to, you know, you triggered on me, Tim, the thought about and I'd like to share like how I pray for my children. Um, it's a little different. You're praying with them, which is great. Um, And I used to do that as well. But now today with my kids being out of the house, um, I'm constantly praying for them. And when I do that, I I used to pray, Lord, if it be your will, and then I would start praying. And then I got to thinking about that. uh, And I've gotten into this notion of praying the promise, not the problem. And so I have actually gone into scripture where if we look at scripture, we already know the Lord's will for our children in a lot of ways. So I will pray scripture for my kids. For example, Psalm 127 says, children are the heritage of the Lord, um, or in Deuteronomy 28, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. So, so I pray and I substitute my children's name there or in Psalm 144. So I'm literally uh, praying what I already know God's will is for my children um, by inserting their names into the promise that he has already given us. Uh, so it's just a wonderful thing that you're doing, uh, praying with your kids. And I, I think what will happen is that that will then take them into their adulthood. And I know some of them are already quite a bit older. Well, and I'm, 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 I'm praying for them too, Ron. So I appreciate that suggestion. I think that's beautiful. But it's, it's a tough world out there for kids growing up. And there are so many things blowing against them um, that uh, I think that's right on. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Tim. And what we'd like to do now, and you're going to go into one of these as well, Tim, is we're going to go into our breakout rooms. Uh, and the questions for everyone to discuss or that we think would be worth discussing are really twofold. Uh, one of them is, how do you help your children or family in terms of their faith walk? Or alternatively, uh, we'd love to hear how you do that. But also, what would you like to start doing to help your children and family? Maybe you've gotten some ideas from Tim, but maybe you uh, this has triggered a few other things. So what we'd like to do is kind of go now into our uh, breakout rooms uh, until maybe a quarter of the hour. And we'll then we'll come back uh, and Tim will share a little and I will share a little and um, let's do it. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. And so what we like to do is to talk a little bit uh Uh, about our experiences. I'll just tell you a couple of things that came out in mine. And then Tim, I'd love to hear yours as well. Um, I heard a few points, scripture changing lives. So just encouraging children and the family to get in the habit of reading scripture and even doing a Bible study. And of course that brought to my mind, the power of the word. So that's just an awesome uh, takeaway. Um, Someone else that the church has really brought their family together uh, and so just, you know, the reliance on the church, the uh, I'll say the ecclesia uh, to really bring folks uh, in one place to focus on their faith. Someone else brought out about the head of the family, the father generally being the center of education and making sure to lead the family in educating children about God. Um, someone else uh, sending their children to a Christian school has been very impactful where the kids have even taught the parents are amazing. The parents with some of the things that they're learning. And and to me, what that does is it puts our our lives and our world in a Christian context instead of the world sort of generating the context. 
Um, we do it from a Christian perspective, and that that really puts things in proper order. Uh, so those were some of the things uh, that that we got in our breakout room. And Tim, I'd be curious. What'd you hear? What'd you get out of there? Yeah, thanks, Ron. Um, yeah, we we had a great discussion and, you know, just a couple quick takeaways. I think, first of all, you know, obviously this is a topic that's really dear to everyone. And I think whether you're talking about a spouse relationship or relationships with your kids, um, we all have really sincere aspirations for them around their lives and their faith. And so I think, and people know it's hard. Um, so I think the two sort of big takeaways uh, that I took from our discussion beyond just sort of sense of community and support for each other, which I thought was awesome in the dialogue is number one, um, well, you can want things for your kids, leading by example is really helpful. Um, showing them the way more than telling them the way, especially as they get older, they're watching more what you do and not what you say. And then the other one is, recognizing that at the, end of the day, at the end of the day, our most important job to do is just love our kids. And, um, you know, everybody's journey will take them in different places, but loving them unconditionally, no matter what, and continuing to support and pray for them is important through it all. And so I think some of that persistence and love, um, you know, even though it's hard, even you know it's not all in your control, but it was a really good discussion. That's so awesome. And Tim, I can't thank you enough for this topic. And I'm surprised we haven't had uh, until now uh, focus as much as we have on our family. Uh, and it's just really perfect, uh, especially as we come into the holidays and into Christmas when our families are together for us to have these things on our mind. It's awesome. And may, I don't know, Tim, if you've got maybe a, a parting thought or two, we would love for you to leave us with one. Uh, if you have a transforming idea, what a great way that would be uh, to end this session today. Well, well, Ron, I'll um I'll leave it to you, maybe the, the group out there, this is transforming ideas, but I'm happy to share a couple closing thoughts and they're both are sort of rooted in um, scripture passages that are meaningful to me. One of them, and this will be very familiar uh, to, especially to all the Catholics out there, uh, has to do with the story of the centurion in Luke. Um, and um, we say something uh, during Catholic service every week that goes along the lines of, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And that's what we say every week before communion. And, and the story is rooted from this story in Luke about the centurion. And many of you are probably familiar with that. He has a sick servant. And while he's a powerful sort of person in Roman society, he recognizes Jesus's authority and power. And so he asks for Jesus to heal his servant. And when Jesus is some ways off, he says, hey, don't even come into my house. Um, I'm not even worthy that you're here, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And so the humility with which the centurion approaches his relationship with God and Jesus, I think, is a great example. Uh, we can be self-important, you know, whatever our, we're sort of doing our lot in life. But it's a reminder that um, God is God and, and is the creator and we are creation. And our relationship with God, we approach it with humility. Uh, and also, I think it's a great example of faith because he believes Jesus can heal his servant even at a distance. And so, you know, it's powerful in that he's asking for something for someone else, his servant. But I think his examples of faith and humility um, are great examples for us. And then the other thing that I would leave you with, uh, this goes back to sort of vacation Bible school, maybe, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. When you think about the passage in the gospel about the fact that the light is supposed to be not hidden, not under a bushel basket. It should be on a lampstand so that it brings light to all the house. And 
And I think um, I think about that a lot because we all have skills and gifts um, and a purpose in life. And th those things aren't to be left to ourselves. Um, and, and I think it was Pope uh, Benedict who said something along the lines of, uh, while the world offers comfort, we were not built for comfort. We were built for greatness. And it, that can be uncomfortable to let your light shine. Uh, but our job is not what we're doing in church or whatever on a weekly basis, but it's to take our gifts out into the world and make a difference. And I think that's the power of uh, fellowship and community. But those two things, I, I, I think that example of humility and faith and the example of thinking about how are we bringing light to the world um, and glorifying God with our lives, I think are, are sort of two parting thoughts for me as we, as we get ready for Christmas. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you so much. And thank you uh, to everyone that participated. We'll be kicking off 2023 with a great lineup. January, we'll have Jeff Reeder. Uh, February, Keith Wagner is joining us. March, Chris Kuhn. And then finally, uh, our regional Christian Fellowship Breakfast will be coming up in January and February. Johnny Wright will be our speaker. Uh, and of course, we're going to need your help on the committee. So as a supporter or and or a table host. So you may be getting an email shortly. So we'd love for you to participate. Uh, it's just truly a blessing, this whole community. Uh, and, you know, we just love you and we love that you're that you're able to join us. It just means so much to all of us. So thank you. Have an amazing Christmas. Happy New Year. And we got you out on time, which is Merry Christmas, good. everyone. Thanks, Ron. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, visit our website, www.christianfellowshipcommunity.org. The Christian Fellowship Community is an independent, not-for-profit corporation. CFC is supported by volunteers and through donations from its participants. Neither CFC nor this episode are endorsed by, affiliated with, or promoted by Northwestern Mutual. 